Hello, I'm Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and despite all my warning, you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody. Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. It is August the 6th, 2016. We're running a little bit behind, but, you know, par for the course. Par for the course. They're used to that by now. Live, live entertainment, ladies and gentlemen. That's how it works. Yes. Air quotes over the entertainment. Correct. <laughs> now, hopefully you guys are not watching the Olympics. You're watching us instead of the Olympics. Yeah, boycott the Olympics because those fucks can't even put up their athletes in style. Yeah, man. They covered they covered the poor guy from Tongo and Baby Oil, man. There were thews aplenty. I was talking about the accommodations. Oh, the accommodations? Oh, you froze, Steve. It move, Steve. Steve. Ah, we have lost Steve. Oh well, okay, so so oh. time to time to stall. Okay. <laughs> time to stall, yes. Uh yeah, I guess we'll go through the rest of the intro. Um so tonight we are going through the second half of uh Swords vs. Cthulhu, an anthology published by Stoneskin Press, edited by Molly Tanzer and Jesse Bullington, or Jesse Bullington and Molly Tanzer, however it appears on the cover of the book. Uh, we have, what do we have, 11 more stories to go through? Yep. So expect this to be another long one? He said long one. <laughs> <laughs> you said a long one. Yuck. <laughs> Expect another long one. Oh, I'll take just one, you know. I'd be happy with just one right now. Honestly. Well, you, know. you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Kim is soliciting. Yes. And I'm using live media to do it. Yes. So... You're not quite finished yet, are you, Ken? So you'll be getting some spoilers toward the end. Yes. But, you know, by the time I'll get to them, I will have forgotten them. So it's all good. Well, no, Steve. Why, thank out. you. Yeah, Steve Steve dropped that. Yeah. Um, while we're waiting on Steve to return, and of course, uh, as soon as oh, we yeah. say that, he shows back up. Uh, I do have a couple of things. Um, this is, first off. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, first off, I do have a retraction. Uh, I, I mentioned in passing during the last episode that, that Oren Gray was a writer on A Time to Harvest. That was incorrect. I was wrong. I hereby retract that statement. Wow, man. That never happens. That, God, he was that, wrong. Yeah. There you no, go. Not that he's, that he's wrong. It's the seventh that sign. He that he was wrong. That never happens. There's <laughs> stupid big guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, second thing is I, I have a secondary book recommendation uh, because uh, John Horner Jacobs followed us on Twitter and going through the author bios at the end of the book now everybody knows I'm terrible at names and the names do not click but there has been a book that I've been mentioning several times over the past year or so we've been doing the show, and that book is Southern Gods, 
John Horner Jacobs wrote that book. It's a fantastic book. Uh, if you get a chance to read it, do so. Uh, and if anybody's watching, if John's watching or anybody that knows John is watching, ask him what he thought of the episode The Devil's Final on Constantine. Because and this is important. Because it is very important because I found oops shit. I found that uh, <laughs> I found that episode to be very similar to his book. Mm-hmm. But and yeah, remember you, Jack Horner yeah. Jacobs is the author of the Children of Yig, the Viking. That is correct. Yep. With missing ears and all that stuff. And giant snake dude. Um yeah, so if you liked if you liked um if you liked the Devil's Vinyl on Constantine, if you liked uh, the Cthulhu Sapa story, Robert Johnson and the Old Ones, you'll like this book. It has it's very similar in tone and uh, in regards to Devil's Vinyl in thinking. Um, so yeah, now that we're back, uh, let's let's get initial impressions on the second half of Sword versus Cthulhu. Uh, we started with Kim last week. We'll start with Steve this week. Um, it continued on being a strong book. I don't, know what I don't know what else to say. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that works. That works. It was a little shorter than I expected, but... Well, I mean, you wanted to go through a story-by-story story analysis, we can do that. Yeah, that's, that was the plan. But I was just wanting to get like, we're a general like, impression. Yeah, just initial impression. Um, no, it, it was it was you know it's a strong um, anthology. The the it's I can't say it's more of the same because really uh, you have a very diverse crop of stories in here. Mm-hmm. Diverse settings, diverse themes, um, but in a way it is more of the same because it's. People's take on the I want the uh, atypical Lovecraftian inspired themes. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. La- last week I had talked about how um, I was looking forward to it because there's a lot. I like the um, Robert E. Howard esque, Clark Aston Smith kind of stuff where you have. Um, High fan, not high fantasy, but fantasy elements mm-hmm. um, in the mythos. Right, and um, there there is some of that, but there's you know there's been a lot of historical settings mm-hmm. where, where you add mythos into it, and it's 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 very diverse. It's it, the people who wrote didn't limit themselves to what I would have done if I were writing a story for this. I would have totally Fuse a pumping evil wizards controlling giant fucking eight monsters with wings. You know, that's what I would have done. Because, right, right. you know. Right. Um, like. Definitely, definitely it encompasses all the various subgenres of, of uh, fantasy. There's, you know, there's yeah. sword and sorcery. There's, there's definite sword and sandal in here. Mm-hmm. Which is which is more historical fantasy, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's Pirate secondary stories. worlds, there's alternate histories, there's 
pirates are in here. There's all sorts of things. And we're going to go through it story by story. Um, Kim, did you have anything you wanted to add to Steve's comments? Um, I pretty much second everything you guys have been saying. It, <clears throat> more of the same good stuff, and yet very diverse in what they do, diverse in the way they do it, diverse in their type of heroes, sometimes anti-heroes. Mm -hmm. It's just a really good mix, and most of it's done really, really stupendously well. Yeah, my, my initial impressions of the second half is is it's as strong as the first half. Um, you know, that's that's something that we haven't you know, some some anthologies you read haven't seen one a whole half lot of stronger. It's about fifty fifty actually. You know, given the, the the anthologies that we've read lately. Um, you know, some anthologies are gonna be stronger in certain sections. And the way we split this one up, we split it up directly in half, and it's been pretty high quality all the way through. Um, but I will give back those ten bazillion cool points to Jesse Bullington. No, you will not. No, um, they're my cool or, or, They're not your cool <laughs> points. Oh, yes, they are. They are the show's cool points. They're my cool points. Do you and listen to Rainbow? <laughs> no, I don't listen to Rainbow. Thank you. <laughs> There's no rainbow at Miskatonic University. You get your own fucking bitcoins and sell them back. <laughs> Whatever it is you objectivists do. Fuck. Wow. Wow, Steve. Welcome to Burn Rodney. It's sad. <laughs> <laughs> You've been giving away my, my fucking cool points. I need all the cool points I can take. <laughs> Forget. I mean, you yeah. get them, right? You don't take them. Yeah, all your, <laughs> all your dad jokes and uh, dad music, right? That's right. <laughs> all right, so let's get down to it. I'll, I'll give out the cool well, points. Well, why would you give the cool points back? Nope, we're going we're gonna to go through it, and I'm going to give the cool points out when we get to that story. Oh, okay. All right, so first off, we've got uh, Red Sails, Dark Moon by Wendy N. Wagner. And No, actually, that was uh, Lord Over Tudum. That was the last one. Yeah. Uh, Andrew S. Fuller wrote Red Sails, Dark Moon. Are you sure? I'm positive, man. It's got written down. That can't be the last one that we did. Of the world. <laughs> Are, are you positive? Where are my notes from last week? Uh, the last, the last one we did last week was Ordo Bertutum, which was by oh, Wendy yeah, was by Wendy. Yeah, that was by Wendy Wagner. Okay, I wrote the author down. So who was the author? Of the world. Andrew Fuller. There you go. I admitted to being wrong twice in a single episode. It's the end of all things, ladies and gentlemen. It's the seventh sign. <laughs> Will it be the guy with the bees or the guy with the gas mask and the and the fire escapes? Ooh. Both. This is the amalgam universe. <laughs> Alright, so so I fucked up. Go ahead, correct me, Steve. I did. I know, but I was talking over you. Of the world. 
Hello, James. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we got pirates. Pirates. And Dreamland. Dream pirates. Yes. Dream pirates. And more lesbian sex. Can't go wrong. Mm. Uh, See, if, if, that does, if that doesn't sell this, I do not know what will. You know. Yeah. No, actually, I really Pirates, like this story. Pirates, sex, you know, sword and sorcery, blood and gore. Come on. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, we have we have a hero, or a, well, not really the hero. The hero is once again terrible with names. Uh, a young lady <clears throat> wakes up on the beach. She has no Jenny. idea where she is. Jenny, thank you. Jenny. Wakes up on the beach, has no idea where she is. She's in the dreamland. Mm -hmm. And we follow we follow her adventures for quite a while in the dreamlands in, in dream time. Uh, she's kidnapped by some slavers. She's ended up rescued by this, a pirate. A pirate queen. A pirate queen. Um, a red-haired, green-eyed pirate queen with lots of swords in her collection, mm -hmm. and and a little bit of a little bit of an attitude. So, yeah, that was. Well, you have to. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, even in the influences, the suggested reading for this book, they recommend Red Sonia, like. It's like the third thing they recommend as a comic. So, yeah. Um, yeah, what would you guys think of this one? I liked it. Um, <clears throat> I love the ending. It's just this, just, just the very ending that you could ever have hoped for. You know, the, the best possible ending you could hope for for this person. And I'm not going to give away what the final twist ending is, but she does eventually wake up in the real world, quote-unquote. It turns out she's not in a very good place. Nope. Definitely not a very good place. But she... Her, the dream world, the dreamlands have treated her a whole lot better. Right. And the dreamlands are, are a hard place as well. Um, we don't get to we see get too much there. high adventure in the dreamlands, but... You get a chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kill or be killed. This is the way of the dreamlands. And what's interesting is that you, it is indicated during the dreamlands experience that people are people are who are otherwise in the real world are dreaming here together. Mm -hmm. Not only reaching across space, but also across time. Right. The pirate captain, she's talking to Jenny about herself in her life and says, I am probably in a coma on life support somewhere. Right, which is not something that the character Ginny has any inclination of what that means. Right. So this was a really cool take on the Dreamlands, I thought. That. Steve? Um, uh, yeah, um... There was a lot of Dreamland's name dropping happening in this story. Right. I noticed that. And you had like 
I mean, you had Pikmin was in there. You had Zoogs and Gugs, and there was... Uh, and the Narcotic Manuscripts, which seemed to be everywhere no matter what. Yeah, there was um, every town that ever made it into a H.P. Lovecraft story was was mentioned. It was definitely a... I admire that level of inside jokeness. Mm-hmm. I wink and nod, and it wasn't forced. It, it didn't seem like it was, oh, let's put Ulthar in here, and oh, remember to have cats, because it's the Dreamlands, you got to have cats. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And a lot of the, the the territory that has been established through various Dreamlands stories made it into this story, not necessarily in the same context. But you have the uh, Men of Lang are working for the Moon Beasts, and you have the cats who are opposed to that and that warn them of it, and, and just stuff like that. And of course, and she gets struck on the line a couple times. Which is all can- canonical to Lovecraft. Right, right. But and and it it doesn't feel forced. It all flows naturally together as part of a, as part of the narrative, uh, as part mm-hmm. of you know, the world building that was already done. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's sometimes that you get these references to Lovecraft that that seem kind of forced. And that does that's not the case here. It all just kind of flows natural. It's more by the way. You know. Or that, put it like an afterthought, they, like they were like they thought, Oh, I should put some I should put something in here. Yeah, or here, a good spot. Or you know, it, but here it's presented <clears throat> like you you should know this shit already. And here's the other thing is we don't see a whole lot of dreamland stuff. In the anthologies we read, because not a lot of people mind that for inspiration. Right. Well, the Dreamlands was effectively HP's fantasy setting. Right. It's his. It's his uh, kind of sword planet kind of thing. It's like John Carter. Well, you can right. get away with things there that you can't get away with in the quote-unquote real world. True. True. And and the Dreamlands, we all know, were the inspiration for flying to the moon. Right? Sure. Fly me to the moon. So yeah, this is probably one of my favorite stories in the anthology. I have two plus signs next to it. So that must mean I really, really like it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Yeah, oh, then, then the next story has two oh, plus Captain. Well, oh, Captain. <laughs> no, I, 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 like, I like good, uh, you know, hack and slash. You know, um, I, I never would have guessed that. And uh, I like the, 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 the idea that Jenny gets better. She improves. She, become, you know, goes through and she becomes the captain of her own ship. And as a fleet, they attack the moon. While Frank Sinatra sings upon the aft castle. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. This one, Red Sails, Dark Moon, good story. It was a great way to start off this 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 section of the anthology. Um, the next one is another one I really enjoyed, uh, The Thief in the Sand. Uh, and Steve's going to tell me who wrote it, just in case I've got all my authors wrong. 
or okay. sour. That one. You I don't know if it's soy or sour. Right. Uh, yeah, it looks like sour to me. Um, yeah, so apparently I just got that one wrong. Um, yeah, so, yeah, this one had two plus signs next to it as well. I really liked this one. It was, it was a simple, uh, adventure narrative, kind of. Uh, we get a character who has an interesting little power, being able to pop back and forth between dimensions. Uh, I have a special affinity for that, that power as well. <laughs> Um, and once again, never would have known. <laughs> never would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I like the story, um, you know, but definitely, you know, this is this is your sort of anti-hero kind of character or or anti-villain maybe. But this one kind of had that flavor, and I think it was intentional of um, like an Alibaba. Arabian Nights story, mm-hmm. where where the protagonist um, wins by wits, right? Cleverness, mm-hmm. as opposed to feud and brute strength, brute force, right? Force, yeah, right. Definitely, definitely, and you know, it's it's probably the shortest story in the book. It was, well. pretty, yeah, it was pretty short. Uh, you know, I was, it was not what I expected at all. Yeah, it, it it and the twist at the end was was really nice too. We're not gonna we're gonna we gave spoilers in the first half. We're gonna try to avoid spoilers. It in the second was half. a yeah. clever clever plan. Yes. it was a clever plan. It was my plan. Cleverly done story because it it te- it teases you and makes you think that this is gonna be a quest. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Kind of, but it was too short for that. Right. And you, you can kind of judge these things just on how long they are. Right. Well, yeah, this is like a, a story. It's more like the like uh, something like um, Sinbad, where yeah. you have a short adventure, um, and then that adventure is over, and then you flip the page, and the next adventure of Sinbad takes place after this one, but some nebulous amount of time has passed. Right. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you, you get to the end of this one and you half expect to turn the page and it's, you know, two weeks have passed and this character is someplace else. And uh, that I really enjoyed and and this is a, yet another character, another story I would like to see expanded. Um, yeah, I would like to see this person in, in, in film even. Yeah, it would be a great short film. Well, why would you want to ruin everything by making a film out of it? Well, you know, just just well, because some yeah, some because. characters you want to see move. Yeah, I want to see, like for example, she talks about how she's full of parasites, and how when she's attacked, the parasites come out of her, and they like are moving all around. That's not going to be as cool on film. You're right. It can be that if you do look, it right. That would look so much cooler in your imagination than it ever would on film. God. Anime then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's definite uh, 
that's a definite A plus read there. Yeah. Uh, third story on the list is Without Within, and if I'm correct, that's Jonathan L. Howard. Mm-hmm. No relation, or maybe no. there is. No relation to Robert E. Maybe there is. Well, that would be that would be a, a tough one to claim. You know, you would want to, and then you would not want to at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Ancestors. That's true. That's true. Um. So yeah, this one, this one, I kind of, I kind of thought was was kind of a mess story. I like this story. Really? I did, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Go ahead. I liked it because it reminded me of that section in The Fellowship of the Ring in the Pharaoh Dance, <laughs> which I always thought was the best part of the whole fucking series. Of the Lord of the Rings is when they go to the Barrow Dance. Because you have these underpowered people who are basically trapped by this ancient ass eldritch horror and can do absolutely nothing about it. Now, it doesn't end the same way. There's no Tom Bombadil to come and rescue them. No. But, they, uh, they ended as the traditional Call of Cthulhu game has ended. They do. <laughs> <laughs> that they do. Okay, oh, the other traditional ending of a Call of Cthulhu game. There, there are. Okay, two. so we're allowed one spoiler. No, <laughs> no, that's that's not really a spoiler because there there are two ways the Call of Cthulhu game can end. Yeah, well, they kind of both happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly had a hard time with this one I don't know if I was sick with my cold or just tired but anytime I tried to read through it you know it started to nod off there was a lot of stuff in there that I actually thought was dry well, there's it's a lot of, it's a lot of history. Like a lich in, in the tunnel. Ah, uh, dry lich. Oh, sorry. Uh, the lich in the tunnel wasn't dry. I know. It was very moist. 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 And here's the other odd thing. Um, Leogor, the thing that they were chanting to, it was chanting to. Yeah. It's a Durlith. So somebody gave a nod to Durlith in this thing. Hmm. That would be nice. Jonathan Howard. You know. Very nice. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting. It was well written. It was it was well researched for for a, a, an historical piece. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, after after reading the Thief in the Sand, you know, without within was you know it was like. This story really could have been in- included anywhere. This, um, it it would have been a great story at, in any anthology, and and that's kind of one of the things that that I've been judging the stories on is how well they fit together in the overall theme, as opposed to just solely on their on their individual merit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it was it was. Well written, well researched. Um, the actual battle sequence um, was was tense, and I liked that part of it very much. 
But yeah, in the end, I was just like, well, this really could have been anywhere. And it would have had the same impact. I will say that I did like the ending. And I think we've lost nice. Steve again. I'm here. Oh, okay. You, I'm, you, having, you I'm having weird internet issues, so. Uh, okay, because you're, yeah, you're frozen you with your mouth hanging open. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what else is new? Oh, there you go. You're back. You're back. <laughs> hey, I want to, wait, hold on. I'm going to get a good one. So next time I'm frozen, you guys can. You yeah. just got to sit like this. Dude, we don't want to look at your stinky ass butt. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Good thing they haven't invented smell vision. That's all. I oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next up on our list is uh, "Daughter of the Drifting" by Jason Heller. Um, though this one will kind of have a spoiler because we've we've grumbled a bit about this this way of telling a Lovecraftian story. Uh, the post-death narrative. Yeah. That one's always the kind eye. of awkward. The eye. The hand, the, the hand, the window. Fuck, I'm dead. I will say that this is the only story I've ever read that describes a tentacle by saying that it was indescribable. <laughs> yeah. But, but... Because this is Sword versus Cthulhu, there has to be a climactic battle sequence, and this one is mud wrestling. <laughs> it is true. Now, the, the basic gist ladies of this mud wrestling. highball lady mud wrestling, apparently. Yeah. Um, the the premise of the story is that this woman, I, I, I don't remember her name has this magic sword and it's a twist on the sword controlling the user kind of trope like the Elric but in this case the user is the sheath of the sword right and when the the owner of the sword the cosmic entity that owns the sword um, wants to use the sword the the sheath literally sits at its side (laughs) Mm-hmm. And the soul, her soul. Right. It kind of reminded me of an Earth Three power ring kind of setup. Right. How they had it. You had to kill the um, previous sheath to get it. You don't want it, but you can't just give it away. It, like had that that uh that feel to it. Right. Right. And and yeah, that those sequences. Um, where the the narrator describes being the sheath during these cosmic battles, those are really interesting. Um, yeah. You, know, you never you never get the sheath's perspective. You always get the sword's perspective. The sheath's perspective. <laughs> or you always get the wielder of the sword. Mm-hmm. This time the sword wields you. Yeah. Or not really though. Anybody want to make a uh, so the sword enters you. Spiritoff joke there. In Soviet Russia, <laughs> sword wields you. Sword wields you. Yeah. Oh yes. 
You know, what's interesting is that she meets another sheath, just like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there there are multiple multiple sheaths around the universe for these these ultra powerful swords. Um, yeah, and it's 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 a really interesting idea that these weapons exist, probably spread across infinite space, uh, to be called to their master's side when they when they fight a battle. You know, these titanic cosmic battle. You know, the sword of Galactus, as it were. Well, and then the the twist being that if. Uh... Every time the sword is used and it needs to be re-sheathed, cosmic mm. entity asks sheath, "Are you willing to accept the sword?" Right. And you right. can say no, but woe be to you if you do yeah. say no. Right. So it's not. It's it's like I'm going to ask you if you want to, but it's not really a choice. Would you like right. the fish or the because, fish? <laughs> right. Because look. Look at that vast landscape. Every one of those motherfuckers could be a sheep. Right. You're a diamond dozen. <laughs> right. Sheaths are easy. But yeah, apparently the sheaths are also sworn enemies of each other as well. So if your master's... Yep. Your master's... Oh my gosh. This is what it's like to be a Pokemon. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I just realized this. <laughs> that you get you get captured, you get this sword stuck in you, in your soul, and uh, when it's if time you to run fight, across you your opposite out. number, yeah, you got You got to kick their ass. Ah. The so that so would be like if point the point balls were fighting. <laughs> hmm. Well, the yeah. Ball, okay. I choose you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm probably one of two people left on the planet who don't play Pokemon Go. Well, I would be the both here because I don't play it. (laughs) I don't even. Everybody else in my family does, but I. Right. Um, So yeah, we three against the world. We we three hold out. That's why we do the show. Yes. That's right. Um. Oh, you couldn't see. So so we have a we have an interesting monoclimatic planet and then the entire planet is composed of mud. Yeah. Mud islands that drift in and out of existence. Right. Yeah. Sometimes the mud solidifies but it's only for a short time and then it becomes the what was it? The amorphous ocean. Filled with Pokemon. The, the ocean amorphous. The ocean amorphous. Filled with long fish. And then you can fight over a scrap of land, but it'll be gone the next day. So what's the point? Right. It's a very eating lungfish. Access to lungfish. Yeah. Mmm. Raw fish. But I'm wondering That's right, you where can't cook the lungfish because it tastes like shit. It gets slimy if you cook them. But I wonder where the steel and stuff for the other people's swords come from. Because the That's the narrator question. the narrator mentions that you know she has wielded other weapons other than this sword, uh, you know, and it's just kind of you, you're kind of curious as to okay, where does how do these people even survive? Yeah, you know, I mean, we know it's there like, are boats. You know, is it like Water World and and everybody actually you know lives on 
boats. Where do they build the boats from? Right, where you know I mean, there's there are no ferns. trees. Yeah, there are ferns, and you can eat those. How are there ferns? Ferns can grow pretty maybe much. They're they're air ferns. Well, maybe they're like a cargo cult, and the great old ones drop swords on them, oh. and ferns and lungfish. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I, I, that okay. that I'll yeah, buy. It, they're 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 a, a, a waypoint on a hyperspace route, and cargo just falls out of space transports. Maybe. They're peer to peer noted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next one is the matter of I'm gonna probably mispronounce this. Odd. That's how I pronounced it. All right. Ode, odd, oud. Oh my God! Here's Audi. my handwriting again. Yeah, I. Ode. Natanya Baron. Thank you. I, You're welcome. I got Baron right. as Natanya? It's just kind of. I must. Have, it must have been three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, here we go. We have uh, a story set in the world of Roland. One of Charlemagne's paladins, the you know the most famous of his paladins, um, the one who went to the dark tower and missing, and a crab ate his finger. Well, that's the one based on the one that went. Right. Tower. Yeah. We're, this is the actual child Roland, not the. But not not Stephen King's child Roland. Uh, but this story doesn't focus on Roland. Roland is a minor character. This focuses on the young Roland lady... Is <laughs> Roland is a plot point. This story focuses on Roland's betrothed... Ode. 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 Now, somebody... Under German car. Anybody speak French? Care to weigh in on this? Hell, <laughs> oh, I'm from Louisiana. I should be able to pronounce this. But you pronounce it cajun -y. So it would still be wrong. Audie. <laughs> Woo! We got Audie up in here. Um, <laughs> that sounds dirty. I like it. It's out. Right. Regardless to how the name is pronounced. Yes. Um, this this is an interesting little quest story. Um, you know, and it deals with the 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 love of family. Uh, you know, and what you would do for your family. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so basically, Al's brother, Olivier, is set to battle this giant as a spectator sport for Charlemagne and the Saracen King. Who is the enemy? Who is the enemy? But seems... Seems in some cases to be a civil enemy more than this, like, ah, oh, we hate your guts, blah, we're going to eat you alive. But it's more like, yes, we'll settle this like men in single combat with uh, retainers of our choosing. I picked well, the it, giant. It is a, <laughs> it is a, uh, you know, it's a time of chivalry and, and chivalrous war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, very chivalrous. Rules of warfare and whatnot. 
Yes. Right. The days when war was a gentleman's sport. The real sport of kings. Um, so, yeah, odd, of course. I mean, who would want their brother to go fight a giant? So A pagan giant. A pagan giant. Oh, yes, yeah, so we're forgetting the best part. She's being led by the Queen of Heaven. Oh, yes. The yes. Mother of God. Yeah. Yes. Mary. Um, yeah, so she goes in disguise, you know, hangs out with the army. She's, she's hooked up with this retinue of this bishop who is not a very, whole, a very, very good priest. <laughs> <laughs> he's well, not. Actually, he's pretty Catholic. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'll give him that. He's, but yeah, the how the so? Priest, you mean by the fact that he likes men, or the fact that he gets drunk every night? <laughs> all of the above. All of the above. Yeah, I, I really don't think that the the priest cares whether you're a man or a woman. Hmm. Uh, you know, he just gets so liquored up that he can't tell the difference. No, because I didn't they imply that he had a regular lover? Yeah. Um, oh, jeez, what was his name? Yeah, there was a lover in there, and, th and that lover was the reason he agreed to take Oud yes, on... That's, that's right, on he was being blackmailed by Oud. Yeah. Right, she got caught, in the, he got caught in the act. Yes, with his pants down. So she's dressed up like his secretary. Correct. Correct. And a boy. So not even her brother boy. can tell. I think her brother. Which is impressive tell. because there's a point when she when they're I speaking with each there. other and and the brother has no clue. No, I right. This is his sister here. Pretty much that. That was amazing. Yeah. It was she she passed that disguise check very well. I don't think yes. she did. I think he knew. I think at the end he kind of like gave it away subtly that I know who you are. Not the first time, but the second time. Hmm. Think so. I think so. Hmm. It's not a, a salient point. It's not like a huge point that the story yeah. depends on. But I think yeah. that her disguise wasn't as good as she thought it was. Well, her, her disguise was a haircut and a robe. And the fact that she's fuggly enough to pass for a boy. And and the fact that everybody was drunk. You know, I, I really don't Constantly think... Drunk. You know, the, the, the bishop keeps saying that, you know, oh, you're ugly, you'll never pass for a girl. But she's 13. And he's also gay, so, I mean, right. where's his... Well, not yeah, that gay people can't that. appreciate beauty of the opposite that they're attracted to, but, I mean, I'm just saying his his... His uh, taste might be off. Uh, possibly, but you know, yeah, but she, she's thirteen, which makes which makes her betrothal to Roland squeaky. But man of his times. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was a man. Of his um. So yeah, I mean, just that that awkward prepubescent. Age, you know, she hasn't blossomed into a woman. I, you know, Ms. Barron makes a point of saying that. Um, so, yeah, I, it's probably not that she's ugly, it's just that she's just, you know, at this stage of early puberty and 
and it's not not agreeing too well with her, rather than she's just you know ugly. Although she is a princess, and and princesses are usually beautiful creatures. Yes. In these stories, stuck in towers where knights must come to rescue them. Exactly, as is their idiot. That's what knights do. Well, she also gets a lot of flack from um, pretty much everybody around her. Mm-hmm. The bishop yells at her, calls her ugly, says she's stupid, she's wasting her time. Um, Roland, when when Roland and Olivier come in to talk to the bishop, they give her a hard time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she has it easy in this disguise. Well, yeah, and, and it also seems to me that, okay, on the one hand, you have this idea of, of paladins, you know, of being, you know, upstanding, morally, you know, high level and you know, virtuous and all this stuff. Yet, Ode describes the camp as being like an almost eternal frat party. Yeah, you know they're they're drunk. They're telling dirty jokes. They're singing bawdy songs. You know, they pray first and then sing the nasty songs. Yeah, and see, she's used to court life where everyone is polite and, and well, right. And yeah, nobody it, touches one another and uh, yeah, there's no rubbing. There's no touching or or anything. There's lots of lots of butt smacking going on in this in this camp. <laughs> And, and dirt and, and and grime and vomit and stuff. Stank. And stank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah, and, and and in that way it's 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 interesting exploring this is her really her first time out of court. Um and she's out in the real world and she's discovering that, you know, wow, this is not the stories I was told. Mm-mm. Of how these things go. Um, but we get to the we get to the climax because, of course, Olivier has to fight the giant. Um, and Steve pointed out that this entire thing could have been resolved very simply. That's a little bit of the old in and out. That's what I thought too. Oh, that's what when I thought she, was when going she took to happen. The robe off, I thought, yes, this is perfect. This is more than perfect. Yes. Not not to give too much away, but the the giant that um, Olivier has to fight is this kid who turns into a giant because of an eldritch artifact. It, which only works because she's a virgin. And the son of a king. You have to be royal yeah. blood, and, and the you child. have to be a virgin. Right. right. And it could have absolutely been solved by a little of the end. All, all Odd had to do, who is also the uh, of royal blood and a virgin, Right. all she had to do was end that virginity. Yeah. And you could have just peace be I with mean, you. The, the the plans of of uh, countless or at least two elder tours are thwarted, 
everybody gets to go home and have um, schnapps. Right. And well, but then again, you you risk you run the risk of people finding out how you did this and then just offing you. Which, uh, admittedly, they probably wouldn't have done because he is a prince. But, yeah. You know, people get well, mad. she was already, you know, Alda was already running the risk of being offed anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, people lose it, you know. Having snuck under the cover of darkness into the enemy into camp. The enemy camp. Yeah. Well, just for being in the camp of Charlemagne in the first place. Yeah. This is true. Um, so you know, that, that aside, because it, it is, I mean, it struck all three of us, and it is um, kind of there in the middle of it, like, wow. I don't know if um, maybe um, Baron didn't stress the, the, uh, the definition of purity, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it could have been explained away better or taken out. And yeah. Then it wouldn't, and then it wouldn't have been an issue. That's all I'm saying is because it's the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, well, that's how you solve the problem. Yeah. Right. But, wow. But perhaps because mm-hmm. both both characters, the, the prince and, and out, lived in kind of relative isolation from each other and yeah. all they knew was this uh, cultural aspect that they've been taught and you know for her mm-hmm. you know virtue and chastity and stuff like that that is her connection to the mother of heaven right there and you know that wouldn't you know the mother you know that that holy connection is greater to her than the obvious solution to the problem which fact, leads us to the now you to could, the big twist. Well, now you could have um, actually said that. You could have like had the thought go through her mind and then go, no, you know, the Holy Mother will show me the way, or what have you. Yeah, perhaps, but you know, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was kind of a hiccup, but didn't really detract. The, the no, it doesn't detract from from the story. It's just like there, right? But then again, you know, not everybody is our our gaming party. Right? <laughs> and then you wouldn't have gotten that whole transformation scene, and you know, obviously, no, none that... of the characters are played by Wes, right? <laughs> yeah, because because yeah, because you didn't even get to the real horror. Of the story until after that scene, where you know Odd comes up with a solution to the to, to her solution to the problem, right? Which is you know r- rather you know impulsive itself, you know. And even though there are some interesting little things that occurred in, during the solution, we're not going to tell you what it is because that mm-hmm. would be a major spoiler for this yeah. story. Yes. Um, so, moving on, we have The Living Vengeance Stars by E. Catherine Tolbert. Or, as I like to call it, The Joker's Five-Way Revenge. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. setting with Nyar Lathotep on the screen. Yep, I, uh... D&D campaign. 
Yep, this had very much, you know, the, the classic uh, campaign style of storytelling. Um, you know, it was like reading an, an old Dungeons & Dragons novel or something like that. Um, accessed the dungeon. Yeah, I, I thought it was now, very good. Now, let me ask you a question. Okay. Did you read it in Ice T's voice? No, I did not read it in Ice T's voice. <laughs> <laughs> I read everything in <laughs> Yeah, Steve, you knew that. Um. <laughs> oh, this is going to hurt you. Um. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the story. I, I uh, by the way, this is by E. Catherine Tobler, or maybe Tobler. Tobler. Did I did I back my reverse my L and B again? No, I don't think we, you no, mentioned the author who yet. It was. I did. Did you? Yeah. Well, Check. oh well, moving on. We know. Check the, the replay. Game. Um. So yeah. I really like this story. I mean, you have your party uh, filled with your 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 basic your party set. Yeah, you have yeah, your mage, you have your archer. Your, you your mage, your archer, your, your fighter. Your dwarf. <laughs> and the dwarf. <laughs> you always have to have a dwarf. Decked out in resplendent beard. <laughs> Great thing about the dwarf. The best thing about the dwarf is even the women have resplendent beards. She turns into a dragon. Yes. Oh. And then immediately dies. Dwarf oh, sorry, dwarf spoiler. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and then it immediately botches her attack roll. Yeah. Ninety-nine. Oh shit. <laughs> it is a hit list of taking down the major names. Of the Lovecraftian pantheon. Correct. Yeah, all <laughs> of this can be killed with like, ugly mundane like, means. <laughs> it's, it's almost like Charlie's Angels. Angels, angels. Your next target is Yoke Sofoff. <laughs> Kick its ass. <laughs> and, and they do. I mean, this is a very competent party. Um, with, the, with the exception of the dwarf. No, every one per, one party member dies at every encounter. And it's True. always the swords master who delivers the killing blow, which I thought was weird. Having all these ancient old ones, these great old ones who are unstoppable, get sliced in half by a sword and die. But they explain okay. that. They talk about that. They talk about the content of the sword right, and, how it, and how sure. it relates to the. Uh, the, the prison. Bill's mm -hmm. Nichols is this prison, uh, right. which is Alcatraz. For old ones. That was like an island prison in the middle of the day. <laughs> it's off of, off of Hollywood. <laughs> it's <laughs> Hollywood. 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 Yeah. Even though Alcatraz is, is in San Francisco, but anyway, right. I digress. I pictured it as Alcatraz, cosmic Alcatraz. But uh, but the the prison was forged from the same space rock that the sword was. Mm -hmm. and, and the prison is able to hold expletive deleted. The big C. 
Because, you know, this story is literally you actually get Sword Cthulhu. versus Cthulhu. You actually get Cthulhu in this. Yeah. It's the first story where where the big C shows up. Yeah. And it's actually one of the few stories that talk actually, about no. the big C. Really? It was uh, Nair Lethtep that was the final bad bad guy. Oh, they call the big. They call the switcheroo. Narlathotep gets betrayed by the sword because who ends up being controlled by the big C. Oh, I missed that part. Because the big C is imprisoned in the same material as the sword and has the affinity of the material, so is able to control the sword as well. Okay. Well, no. Uh, he doesn't actually control the sword. There is a a trick to making the magic of the sword work, and that is name it and claim it. If you notice, she always oh, yeah. has, has to, to name, name of the entity before she strikes. And yeah, right. Cthulhu turns around and, and pulls a switcheroo when they're facing him down, and, and Nyra Lethotep is trying to, like, say his name. Say his name. And Cthulhu says, Nyra Lethotep. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Bitch. <laughs> That's pretty gangster Cthulhu right there. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and really... Kurt Cave would be proud. And... Of, of gangster Cthulhu. Gangster Cthulhu. Um, you know, this is... In, in a lot of ways, Cthulhu ends up being... The hero of the piece, because he, she, well, all you she gave wanted, away the whole fucking thing, but well, yeah, I did. I actually gave it with the spoiler away, um, because that's exciting. I mean, that's it that's is really and, exciting. And it's nice to finally just say, yeah, Thulu made it into one of the stories. Right, Thulu made it into one theology. of the stories, and and he. He came, he Even though he's never named, precisely named. Right. But you know. It's a, because if you said his name... Prison is really, really, really a... Right. Alcatraz is really a... I mean, how many other underwater entities imprisoned that are dreaming but not dead do you know? Hmm. Yeah, this is true. Hmm. I think I probably just missed so, that because at this point I was rushing to get through all this mm -hmm. and I was skimming stuff, so I think I must have missed that little bit, little part. Yeah, that's okay. And I should mention to the viewers that I didn't finish this book. I, I'm like three stories shy of finishing it, yeah. so I'm going to recuse myself for the last few. Um, just make my usual snide general comments <laughs> that you know and love. So. So was Gangster Cthulhu keeping it real, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> he was, man. He was. All right. Keeping it real, yeah. So the next story on the list is The Argonaut by Carlos Orsi. Um, Fire Lord Carlos Orsi. <laughs> <laughs> This one was really freaking cool. This is the kind of weird that I would want to be trapped in. Because it makes no sense. You have to figure your way through everything. And in the end, you can you can only win one way. Right. 
I um, thought it was a really cool mystery I thought this, thing. This, this one was funny as shit. I thought there were some great jokes mm-hmm. in this. There, there were some really cool jokes. Um, the main character, um, you know, just seems like this this guy who's always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because because he takes everything. Doesn't matter what it is, he takes everything in such stride. He's like, oh well, that's weird. <laughs> Might as well do that. At least he's not like, uh, what's his name from uh, Eyes of the Overworld, where he's in the wrong place at the wrong time and does the exact wrong thing. Right. So he does do a shitload of wrong things. Yeah. Well, he does a shitload of wrong things, but they're they're the right things to get him to the next part. (laughs) Right. He's like, well... I am going to throw myself to the grand storyteller in the sky. And, you know, we get we get Shoggoths. We do. And we have the greatest line in the whole book, the greatest quote in the whole book. Go for which it. Is, I am usually not keen on meeting strangers on ghost ships. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like it's like this dude it's like I've been there done this before. You know, and, and that's the tone that the, that the character takes throughout yes. the entire story. It's like that, saying, if I had a nickel. Right. If I, if I had a nickel for every time I met a strange woman on a ghost ship, you know, I could buy my own ship. Um, yeah, and this, this is another story that, that has that Sinbad uh, kind of flavor to it. That you know, this is just yet another one of this this character. Of my wacky adventures. adventures. Yeah, it was kind of like a post pirate story because all mm-hmm. the pirating happened before the story started. Right. right. Or or during the beginning of the story. Right. There were right. there were pirates. You just don't get to see them. Right. Because they're all fucking dead. Right. <laughs> this this starts. He starts off as a stowaway. He's below decks when everything goes down. When he yep. comes up. It's like everything is gone from the ship. Like there, there's no, there are no ropes. There are no like cups sitting anywhere. And all that was polished. polished. I know that was creepy. To a, fuck. To a mirrored it. surface. Yes. I wonder what the hell is going on here. This is awesome. Now, there's another thing I thought thought was funnier than hell. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So um, the other ship, the pirate ship, was called well, well it's unnamed, but it's a Maltese ship. No, not that's the not the ship. not no, the pirate that. ship. The the ship that the pirates were raiding was right. a Maltese ship, mm-hmm. and, and the MacGuffin. Oh yeah, which we'll call <laughs> the Necronomicon, was stored under a statue of a falcon. A falcon. Oh my god! Uh, I just caught that. You know, <laughs> and, awesome. and if I as That's I recall, as as I recall the 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 Dashiell Hammett story, that Falcon on that ship could very well have been the Falcon in that story. It could have been because they the history of that Falcon, right? And and it matched the description of the Falcon. In Maltese Falcon. Nice. So, so now we have this this weird uh, 
universe you know, connection where the Maltese Falcon is a Lovecraftian artifact. <laughs> <laughs> I never trust a man who doesn't order the stick. This is the stuff the Dreamlands are made of. <laughs> Which is not in the book. No. Um, yeah, so... That would yeah, be cheesy. This was... Um, this was a pretty good story. Uh, we're not going to give away the ending of this one because it is a, a twist. A little bit of a twist on the title. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, I, I liked this one. I liked it was the, fun. the adventure aspect of it. I liked the... This is, you know, the continuation of a serial aspect of it. Um, you know, the jokes, the reference to the Maltese Falcon... Um, it was a Knights Hospitalier ship, so you know you have the Knights of Malta, you know, conspiracy thing going on there. Right. Uh, the Hospitalier Knights being the uh, enemy of the Templars. Enemy. That's like some Umberto Echo shit there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it just had a lot of interesting little little tidbits here and there. In, in a pretty straightforward uh, adventure story, um, and there's and yeah, it, it works out really well, um, and it leads us directly into of all possible worlds uh, by Inez Brodsky. Now I really like this one too. Uh, this is we were discussing this one before we went on air. Uh, this is the story of uh, it's ancient Roman times. We have a, a, a Jewish slave who is whose an job ex -Jewish. is an ex-Jewish slave, yeah. um, whose job it is to procure animals for the Colosseum fights. And and he comes across something far far worse. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> But thematically speaking, this, this story really kind of had, uh, when we were talking about Cthulhu Live Streaming a couple of months back, about the story, uh, about the theme of what is dream, what is reality, and whatnot. And that right. plays a lot into this story. Um, our hero has a relationship with uh, a priest of the Temple of Samulus, Samus, the god of sleep. Right, they were a Roman equivalent of hypnosis. Yep. Um, and so you have, you know, and he does. He has a series of dreams where these awful things are happening, and then he wakes up, and, oh, phew, it was a dream. And then, then we get switched up, and we have this section of narrative that we find out is a dream, that there was no hint that it was a dream at all. Right. Now, I don't know if this was intentional. I, th I think it was because of a couple of the things that um, some of the characters had said. Right. Um, but I think that the dreaming and the reality um, meshing, mm -hmm. confusion, parallels how the Romans operated when they um, invaded you. Right. Because basically what the Romans did, for those who don't know, is they come in and they not only conquer the people, but they conquer the gods of the people. So they take 
the statue of your god and drag it back to Rome. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters says, how quickly the Romans warp us into mirrors of ourselves. Mirrors of themselves. So, and uh, an- another um, person, uh, it was the slave that spoke the language of the wizard, mm-hmm. said, these are the broken shards of my religion. This is what remained after the Romans ground it against reality. <laughs> the Ramones. The Ramones, that's right. <laughs> Damn that Ramon. <laughs> Go on around you. Anyway, you can edit that out. <laughs> we don't edit. Um, ba, 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 ba. I want to be legated. <laughs> Logan, I need to borrow your, your cat gun. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I think that it, there's parallels here between um, the melding of reality and dreams and how the Romans basically changed the reality of the people and the civilizations that it conquered. Correct. And one of those civilizations is a payback. I want to think it's, say that it's intentional because it, if it is intentional, it's really fucking cool. Right. Um, and if it's not intentional, I want him to say that it was intentional because it's really <laughs> fucking cool. Well, you know, and, and and here we are. This is the second you know, major appearance by the big C. Uh, because anytime you have dreams and, and reality, you have to have the dreamer in it. Um, not that we we don't see, but we feel. Bernard. 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 The big, the big C, Bernard. Bernard. How do you pronounce it? I pronounce it Bernard. Or in Canada, Bernard. <laughs> um, yeah, and and so you have, you know, the the idea that that uh, Bernard's dreams are actually influencing our characters' dreams. That you know that our character. Um, there's 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 a parallel between the dream sequence that we didn't think was a dream sequence and what's actually happening in the story. Because, you know, we all know what happens when Bernard stops dreaming. Correct. You have to ram him with a, you have to ram him with a boat. Well, yeah. I'm working on one. Coffee! <laughs> Get the finished ship. We need to hit the snooze button. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't have one. They had to go the old-fashioned way. Stabby stab. Um, yeah, I, I overall I like the story. I like the tone of the narration. Um, you know, I, I the climax was was great because it's one of those it's one of those things where the story goes da 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 da, da and you know it does have the dreamlike quality. It has the dream sequences. Um, and it's almost this, this slice of nightmarish life for this guy. And then all of a sudden, 
shit hits the fan. And, and, and the, the, the nightmares that he's having aren't these cyclopean cities and blah, blah, the usual kind of nightmare that you have. It's um, all the animals escaped. I'm going to lose my job. They're going to kill me because right. I'm a slave. Right. His nightmares are very mundane. And, you yes. know, there's my lover. There's they're going to find out that I have a lover. Right. I did uh, like the part where Aurelius was saying, "No, don't wake up. I'll die. Mm-hmm. You're killing us all by waking up. Stay asleep." Right. Foreshadowing. I know. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So that that one was a great story. Yeah, a lot of his nightmares were about powerlessness. Right. About how little. I mean, his. We we find out from the very beginning that any power this guy has, you know, any power, any security that he has in the Roman society is tenuous at best. Oh, it's all on the auspices of somebody else. Right. Exactly. He has actually no power. He acts as the power of mm-hmm. other people. Right. And and so when we see his nightmares, which in some ways, are the equivalent of going to school with no pants on mm-hmm. and yep. failing the big math test, right? Or or having to wait tables in a crowded restaurant when, on your first day, right? Kind of shit, right? And you know, and every every anxiety he has about that, the fact that he has no real power, he's just he's a proxy, effectively. Mm-hmm. And that his entire livelihood, his well-being, his ability to eat is dependent on the graces of the conquerors. You know, the emperor doesn't like to doesn't like what the the show. He gets blamed for it if they're fighting animals. Right now, um, also he didn't have it so well back in Judea. No, because um, he he was gay. Mm-hmm. And they frown upon that. Yes. And um, his big dream about being back in Judea, his first real nightmare, was um, his his uh, lover being stoned. Right. And not not the Colorado Washington kind. Right. Um, and he was and he, he had a rock in his hand. Stoning. Yeah. And everybody was looking at him, throw the fucking stone at the at the fag. Right. And exactly. then his lover. Was looking at him, going, "How can you do this?" And, and he's looking back, like, "I love you." I gotta throw the stone. And, I love and, you. I'm sorry. And yeah. big, and one of these big boss type characters is eyeballing him, like, mm-hmm, "I know what's up." I have to throw mm-hmm. at least one dude. Sorry. And he throws one, and then he throws those. He throws others, but I think he's like deliberately missing with those, so, you know. I mean, but he looks like he's doing what he's supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, he he just really had it. Shitty his entire life, right? And really, the the Romans, you, you got aside in a way, um, culturally, with the wizard mm-hmm. in this, because, well, because the Jews were were scumbags, the Romans were scumbags, things that that the protagonists lived in were just were 
basically designed to just keep him down and keep him docile. Right. And the only actual true freedom would be through Bernard. That's true. I mean, hell, even the uh, the slave who acts as translator for the wizard is, is you know, is almost rust cold. <laughs> you know, and, and and she even tells me, she's like, dude, the world is so fucked up that the only thing we can do now is just just tear it all down and see what happens next. Oblivion is preferable to the way shit's going right now. And, you know, and I think that that echoes a very powerful sentiment that that we might, so there, are, there are some people even feeling today. Well, look, look at the title of, of the pieces, Of All Possible Worlds, mm-hmm. which, which will remind you or, you know, call to Voltaire, yep. Candide, and Dr. Penglass, 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 whose thing was in the best of all possible worlds. We live in the best of all possible worlds because, and he could justify anything. Right. Because this is the best of all possible worlds. So, I mean, even the title of the story is kind of a callback to how shitty life is. Mm-hmm. Where you could justify anything. Yep. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Brown. So yeah, Bernard is really the answer in this one. Mm. But you know what? Better the devil you know. Yep. You know, we can complain a lot about the society that we live in, but you know, the fact is we don't stone people to death anymore for being gay. Thank goodness. At least in civilized society. Yeah, now we just stick them in jail. Don't let them get married. Or or in some cases, drag them behind for dumb trucks. So, right. you know, it's... But at least it's yeah, not sanctioned. The, it's not publicly sanctioned. Well, not officially, you know? anyway. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that, that the the bigotry and the prejudice is still there. It just uses different tools. It's and, institutionalized differently. Correct. <coughs> Kim Davis. <coughs> <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Now, before before we go off on two more hours of that, <laughs> which we can do, um, the next story <clears throat> Rodney's gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry <laughs> because because this next story the. Only there, there's one thing that could have possibly made this book even better than the next story, and I am going to. Is that warrior request? <laughs> Close. So yeah, ten billion cool points to to Jesse Bullington, Molly Tanzer, and Lori Tom. And Lori Tom, hundred billion cool points to Lori Tom. Um, for the final gift of Zuge Leon. And I just saw the title, and I almost shat myself. Boing! Um, you know, if you've been watching the show, I've mentioned many times in the past that I have a, a, a fondness for three ki- the Three Kingdoms. I've never um, heard you say that. 
And right here we have a story in Sword and Cthulhu featuring one of the most badass strategists of all time, the sleeping dragon himself, Sugaleon. And yeah, I I just I don't think this story could have possibly been bad. Uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the tone. I enjoyed the feel of the story. Um, you know, even when we got to the part where of the nightmare, uh, sequ you know, well, it's not really a nightmare sequence, but the horror part of the story, you know, it was all all powerful and and you have the man himself, you know, standing tall through all of it, more or less. It was actually it was really subtle. Yeah. Um, I, the the thing I liked about it was uh, the history didn't didn't wasn't shoved in your face. It wasn't you weren't beat over the head with it. Mm -hmm. It was it was just a backdrop. Right. To a well, really really laid back mythos piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't have the giant tentacles coming out of the ground. None of that. You had um, you had a pack of ghouls. Uh, yeah, you had a pack of ghouls, which was the, the, the big action sequence of the story. Right. And the horror of it was not tentacles or the monsters and stuff like that. The horror was between Wei and Leong and... And how their their relation their relationship and what way ended up having to do right the, their relationship and what you have to do um, the kind of sacrifices that you as an individual have to make for um, your state mm -hmm. and your master right and it it has that kind of that poignancy of 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 wuja of uh, martial cinema. Where you don't always you don't get a happy ending. No, but it, it it was so. I mean, it was very very philosophically. Mm -hmm. It was very Asian. Oh yeah. Very Chinese there. It 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 was it wasn't like the big spectacle. It was all all the horror all was was uh in the mind like in the in the in the individual the horror. Was contained in the individual, um, at, as opposed to the big tentacle thing coming down on you. Right. You make your sanity roll. Mm-hmm. And in, in this story, you know, the question is is posed by Suge Leon to Wei: Are you willing to do anything for Shu? Because I was willing to do anything for you. And speaking of speaking of Call of Cthulhu, um, you know we have an appearance by by the the books of books of San, the, the the seven cryptical books of San. Yeah. Speaking so, of our Call of Cthulhu, right? Since our party. The last we saw, they were in possession of those. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, you know, for obvious reasons, obvious, obvious reasons, this was my favorite story in the book. And really, you could have just given me this story, and I would have been happy. But 
everything else is good. This one is my absolute favorite. Um, and as I as I mentioned, yeah, the, it was a kick-ass story. It was it was a fantastic story. And please, Laurie, if you have more of these, send them to me on Twitter at Mad Mike's link links galore. Um. Yeah, the only thing that would have been better is if the next story had D Ringy in it. <laughs> but no. No no Judge D now. Um we have number twenty one. Really cool. Yeah, we're in the home stretch now. Um we have two stories two left. Two more. The first is The King of Lapland's Daughter by Nathan Carson. And Kim was having problems with her contacts, and she hadn't read these stories, so she kind of right. went to take care of herself. Um, so, yeah, what'd you think of this one, Steve? Um, I think I, the thing I like the most about this story, and as you know, I've been complaining off and on through pretty much all of the books, the anthologies we've read, um, when they bring religion into it. Right. Um, mainly because... Cosmic Horror is supposed to supersede that. Right. And it definitely does in this story because you have both um, Christian faith and the native Finnish faith mm -hmm. are completely useless. Right. I mean, it, it, it was... <laughs> I'm going to assume it was um, Ithaquah was the, the monster just because it was up north and it was cold. And it was a mountain that walked... Right, but yeah, you know, um, I mean that. Those are the the tropes, the the clues that put you in. It was never mentioned what it was. Right. But um, cool story. It, a a lot of these stories have had um, transgendered uh, pro, or characters. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't mention it before, but in the in the final gift also had a transgendered character in it. Yes. Um, a lot of these stories have gay and lesbian characters and um, I, I thought that that was once again you don't see a whole lot of that. No. No, you don't. And, and you don't and even when you do it's not necessarily in a positive light. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, so having, having uh, the, the wizard in here who was a transgender character I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know if she was necessarily a positive character <laughs> because it kind of was all her fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, she was fairly arrogant. Mm -hmm. um, and this might have had the only just super bleak ending in the entire anthology. Oh, yes. I mean, because this one was definitely the the push the button ending. Oh yeah, yeah. That that one definitely had the push the button ending. Um, yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned the uh, both the native Finnish faith and the Christian faith were totally useless. And you know, on top of that, you had the the native the the wizard. Had actual magic, right? She had um, I don't I don't remember what the book. She had the the Finnish Book of the Dead, mm -hmm. 
Um, so you had you had that. You you had an appearance briefly via Squamous entity uh, yeah. as the wizard's guardian. Yeah, now here's here's an interesting tidbit. Okay. You may remember this from way long ago in Eclipse Phase when mm-hmm. we at the end of Florida. Right. Uh, during the Florida thing, they had the train station and it was a nod to the thing in the moonlight. The dog was a nod to the thing in the moonlight where its right. head elongated into a tentacle. And they even the author Nathan also said that uh it was an odd thing in the moonlight. Right. So Well, Wes and Lily, that's one of their favorite Lovecraftian fragments. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft. So there you go, Wes, Lily. You want to read this one because there's a nice knock. But you really want to read it for the final gift of Zugaleon. I was saying this Next. particular story. I'm just saying. You would, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I like the I like the story. I like the. Uh, there was a lot of drama in this story. Yeah, it was it was definitely the father daughter conflict and like the, the elder women versus the king. Right. The, the 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 first you know when does this country ever have a king? Right. <laughs> and like a lot of a lot of um, the consequences. Right. Of, of, of all the of this story stuff. happened because he thought he was doing right by his. Position and his wife, the right. queen, died, and and really all he had to do to prevent all of this was just listen to the wizard who he ordered to be brought to him in the first place. Right. So I mean, you you order a wizard, your daughter goes out, kidnap kidnaps her wizard lover, mm-hmm. literally kidnaps because she didn't want to go. Right. Asks first. Then kidnaps, and know. and then brings it before her father, and the wizard says, "Yes, we can fix all this. Just let me go." And I I've been keeping this back from you for time out of mind, yeah. and now you you've stolen my book, and I can't do anything about it now. Yeah, there's a lot of selfishness going on in this story too, because I mean the king is 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 really. Yeah, he's trying to do. He, he thinks he's doing right by his wife, but really, all he's trying to do is is he's like trying to grasp that power. He's like, "Look, I can do this right as mm-hmm. as easily as she could, right. as well as she could," and mm-hmm. he's trying really hard um, to make himself look, you know, kingly. Right. Um, when, when effectively in this society, kings were, were neuters. Um, you had the the wizard's selfishness because uh, she states that the only reason that she had been holding this thing back was because she and the princess were lovers. Right. And as that, she decided to keep the entirety of that kingdom hidden from this creature. So you really don't know... You know that it's like kind of a the village kind of thing that this village could have be could be in current times, and because it was invisible to the old ones, oh, that's it could, true. It could have been invisible to everyone. Kind of, but you had that the um, the bishop. 
or the priest. I don't know. Right. Yeah, the the priest. priest And that was kind of like a a medieval. Yeah, he was kind of a medieval guy, but you also kind of get the feeling that he'd been around for a little while. Right, but he had been around, and he, I think he was he was a mission. He was on mission, basically, I right. think. Because um, there was at one point, after the priest fails miserably to mm-hmm. stop the thing, he comes back, and he's bloodied and, and half insane. Right. And it says that the people who were starting to listen to him just shut him out. Yep. Yep. Uh, he he found out how he was hell. He was selfish. I mean, he was bragging all. He was talking. Oh yeah, my God, gonna fucking kick its ass. All I, you know, you need soldiers. Like all I need is this. Right. The cross. Well, come on. <laughs> all all one has to do is break the fourth wall to know that that's not gonna work. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah. Wrong? So yeah. I mean, this this. This was a very tragic story. Um, kind of, but all the characters were were. Yeah, well, it was like it was like there were no likable characters yeah. really. Exactly. Maybe the dog. Uh, maybe that that poor farmer guy who you know he was just trying to be a good citizen, doing what the king says, and he tried to say he just tries to save everybody right off the bat. Like, here's your book, man. Take it. <laughs> You, know, you have to wrap the book in stone, and then uh, it's like, wow, and then float it away. Okay, it's wrapped in stone. Very small rocks. Very small rocks. Yes. Um, it so did yeah, have the most depressing ending of all of them because yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just like done. This was. Yeah, I mean, this is. Was done. And if you've read Mythos myth- anthologies or Mythos stories before, you know that that's not really a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's just odd in, in this book because I don't think any of the other stories ended as just done. Oh, by and large, by and large, most everything um, you know, ended on a positive note. Um, at the very least... With a pirate victory, yeah. But most of the stories ended up with just a straight up win. Yeah, it wasn't um, like that's it. It's over. Right. This one was, this was not a win. This was the Sandy Peterson ending. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a, a, a very good story. You failed. You failed your library use roll three, four, fourteen hours ago. You can't win. Um, so, which brings us to the final story of this anthology, Bow Down Before the Snail King. Well, all hail Snail King. Oh, really? Okay, so let's, let's, let's hear your musical reference for this one. I don't have a musical reference for this one. I wrote Bow Down Before the Snail King. But it's called All Hail the Snail King. I don't really like Nine Inch Nails, so... Okay. Very well. Caleb Wilson wrote this. Yeah, Caleb Wilson wrote this. This is probably the strangest story of... I really, really liked this story. 
I liked this story too. I liked how they played with time in this story. Um, this I, story was the true swords and sorcery story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had a, a world that was a that was just analogs to our own history, perhaps. Right. But it was different. But, and it, but it wasn't a Conan or an Elric clone world. Right. Um, so it, it wasn't just a, a set up as a pastache or pastache or however you say that fucking world that I can't say. Pastiche. Pastiche, thank you. Um, it, the setting felt fresh. Mm-hmm. And the setting was so cool that, and there was enough tidbits dropped here and there um, that made it seem like it was just a greater part. That that was like a little part of a greater world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it did. It didn't need huge explanations for things. It was just like little things, like uh, the the fact that the the emperor's uh, vizier wore a plaster mask. Right. It was mentioned. No explanation. It was just right. mentioned. Yep. Um, and fucking storks, man. <laughs> Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? Vicious, the actual vicious fuck? bastards. Vicious bastards. The last, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I guess, yeah, storks could probably, they probably are vicious in great numbers. Um, yeah, so, so basically, yeah, basically that's how the story opens up, is you have your party fighting off a flock of storks. And you know, And it's not the first flock of storks they've come across. Right. And, and and you get this vibe that everyone hates storks. They're like they're orcs. the giant rats of this the world. Fucking orcs. <laughs> right. Storks, orcs. Um yeah. So you had that you had the the, the character I, I forget her first name, but has the title The Weird. Right. But that's not her title. That's her job. Right. She, that's she, her class. Right. She, that's her class. The wizards are called The Weird. Right. And so it's like a, like a guild. And it's not not just anybody can become a weird. Mm-hmm. You have to like accidentally stumble upon it. Right. And, and but, the, but weird is also kind of a double entendre because the character is kind of weird. Yes. Um, the character because the magic she deals with, she has to she has to be weird. She has to remember it. She has to remember every spell she's ever cast, right. or it'll all rebound onto her in one fell swoop. Right. It's 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 a it's a very interesting magic system because in one way it has kind of that uh, uh, in Deadlands. One of the hucksters cast spells by playing games of chance with demons, and if you win, so I think it, they, it manifests as poker. If you win your hand at poker, the spell goes off. If you lose, bad things happen. And you know, in this in this way, it's like the weirds con the universe into behaving the way they want it to. Yeah, and they have to remember every con. Right or. Or, or all of their every magic spell they've ever cast 
suddenly becomes undone. Which, you know, you defeated a dragon with a fireball. And it just kind of makes me wonder, what happens? Do you go back to that first success? Does time rewind and you find yourself at that first successful spell against the great behemoth dragon and the fireball doesn't go off? <laughs> that would be a cool story right there. But and that could happen, or you could just be stuck in some sort of bubble where all time collapses in on you, right. and every spell you've ever cast rebounds on you. This is true. And because that kind of happens at the end. You kind of get that feeling like that things from different um, parts of their, of their timeline are just kind of happening all at once. Right. Right. And then yeah, you come it's... to find out that that is part of um, because the, the main character was being rescued by the weird mm -hmm. woman. Um, also, the, the, the Snail King. So her first name is um, uh, can you... Ichnuman. 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 Um, yeah, the Snail King has power over time itself. And oh, it, it, snail monster. Right. Snail king is just a sacrifice. Food. Food. But it even seems that the weird have this almost Doctor Who kind of reflection of time. Because Iknumon is just in casual speech, speaking of events in the past, events in the future. Uh, and what's currently going on, all in the same paragraph. Right. And okay. it, and you know, it, it, you're led to believe that, you know, the other characters just think they're crazy, but it's it's a side effect of what they can do is that they perceive time all at once. Mm -hmm. And and we get paragraphs and sections of the story that are out of sequence. Right, and you kind of have to reread them and go, oh, okay, right. right. Right, because we're introduced to a character, and we find out in the next paragraph that character's been dead for a while. Right. Um, by storks. By storks. Killed by storks. Damn. Fucking storks, man. But, yeah, I, I thought this was a great way to end this anthology, um, because yeah, the story was just so weird, it was so surreal, but it still had that, that great fantasy feel. Um, you know, the great sword and sorcery feel, but still, you know, er everything, like, worked together to create this perfect storm of a story. This this is the story, like, you, you've all talked about how you would like to see more of the story of the world or expanded. Right. This is the one that I would like to see a, an anthology in this particular world done. Right. Um, just because the world really intrigues me, the magic system intrigues me. Um, like this is the kind of shit that I like to read. Right. And the statues of people with snail shell heads was creepy as all fuck. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say overall, Swords vs. Cthulhu has been a fantastic fucking anthology. Yeah. Um, and. You know, whether you're a fan of, of mythos, whether you're a fan of sword and sorcery, um, 
or just a fan of, of just speculative fiction, go out and get this anthology. Um, you can get it on Amazon. The link is in the description of the video. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, thanks thanks to Stone Skin Press for putting this out. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks, thanks to Jesse and Molly for, for editing this story. Thanks to all the writers for putting this one together. Yes. Good job, guys. Yeah. Now, I, I just want to say one, one last thing. One last at the thing. end of it, sorry, at the Go end ahead. of this, we have a recommended uh, reading list, right? Which gives comics, books, and uh, games mm -hmm. that um, are some of the favorites of both the editors and the contributors, right? I just wanted to say, and there's that, a lot uh, of crossover on that list as to some of our favorite stuff. There is like uh, Griots. Mm -hmm. Makes it in there. Uh, Milton Davis and Charles Saunders. Uh, Charles Saunders is in there uh, for MRO. Uh, yeah, Milton Davis is in there. Yeah. Um, uh, Red Sonia is mentioned as a comic. Yeah. Now, uh, here, here, Rat Queens is in there. Gene Wolfe. Gene Wolfe. Thank you, whoever decided to put the Book of the New Sun and Tales of the Dagger to Shag Mans. But the Book of the New Sun is one of my all-time favorite series ever. <laughs> and nobody knows about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's and I talk about it all the time. Nobody knows about it, and it's like part of the recommended fiction list in here. Excellent. So that's fucking awesome. All right. That, so yeah. And uh, we've, been, we've been playing a lot of, of, um, of uh, what's it called? Bloodborne here, mm -hmm. and that's also on the list there. Yeah. Bloodborne, is Dark Souls on the list, too? Uh, Dark Souls is not, and they're really doing the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. All right. So oh, yeah, yeah. No, it is. Demon Souls, Dark Souls, sorry. Yeah, okay. So all of From Software's stuff is on here. Excellent. All right, so that does it for this week's episode. Um, we'll be back again next week. I'm not sure exactly what we decided to do yet, but we'll let you know. Uh, Monday, will we be back in Harvest? Uh, so. no, Monday's Eclipse Phase. Oh, Monday will be Eclipse Phase. Uh, yeah, explicit content, viewer discretion is advised when viewing oh our yeah. playthrough of Eclipse Phase. Uh, Friday, Fun Guys should be back next week. Yep. So Friday we'll have all three shows, all three shows live. Uh, Monday will be Monday Night Heroes, 9.30 Eastern Time. Uh, Friday Fungi is Call of Cthulhu Gaming as well. Uh, it's 9 p.m. That one is 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Friday. And then we'll be back next week for Talking Heads Hour, uh, <laughs> 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday. So until then... You may find yourself. Actually, one more thing. Okay. We are in the middle of our subscription drive. Yes, we are okay. in a bit of subscription drive. If you like this show, if you like the Monday show, if you like the Friday show, if you like all of them, there are pages that we will link in the show notes. Yep. Go and you can find us on like, iTunes. Like the pages, subscribe to the feeds. Um, it, it's not, it costs you nothing, it's not a lot for you, but it means a lot to us. Yes. Right. We don't ask for money. We ask for for your for love. your love, your adoration. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll run through a couple of those links real quick. 
Uh, on Twitter, you can follow us at Mad Mikes. Uh, that's that's the channel for this show. Um, uh, at Mon Night Heroes, M O N Night Heroes. Uh, Steve runs that. That's for the Monday Night Heroes Gaming Show. Uh, Kim is at Garnet Ankh. So you can follow all three of us on Twitter. Um, also, mnh.podbean.com is where we host all of the audios of this of, uh, Monday, Monday Night Heroes, Microphones of Madness. Uh, there's some variety fungi up there. Uh, we also have a blog, microphonesmadness.wordpress.com. You can follow us there. We have uh, more reviews. Um, occasional articles about different things relating to all sorts of geek stuff, so you can follow us there. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Our page is Microphones Madness. So, yeah, I mean, if you like what we do, you know, give us a support with a little thumbs up here and there. And Show us some love, man. Show us a little love. And so, and now... If you don't like it, leave fuck some off. Keep it to yourself, dude. No, leave some criticism. <laughs> With we might make fun of you uh, on the air. But on the air, repeatedly. Yeah. And viciously. Oh, yes. You know, like when we're trying to decide what equipment to to uh, use. Mm-hmm. Or buy Cthulhu-Bathon. <laughs> so, now, with that said, say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Cheers.